we did not get information inside that briefing that there was a specific imminent threat. I think it is likely because it doesn't exist. Right. Impeach him again. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day, giving you no excuses whatsoever to avoid us. Coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. An all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, trying to overcome a little bit of a flu bug, but I'm sure I'll be fine, right, Desi Doyen? <laughs> oh, lucky you. We'll see. If I don't make it through the hour, you're prepared to step in and uh, take us the rest of the way, right? Step into the breach, yes. absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, well, the uh, Trump administration uh, finally shared their super-secret classified evidence on Wednesday evening of the supposed imminent attack that they previously claimed would have killed hundreds of Americans had not Donald Trump ordered the otherwise unlawful assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani in Baghdad last week. Now, that killing would amount to a violation of both domestic and international law, as we discussed earlier in the week with national security expert Karen Greenberg of Fordham University, perhaps even a war crime by Donald Trump if it was not, in fact, designed to specifically defensively prevent an imminent attack, as the administration has been claiming. In two classified briefings on Wednesday, one for House members and one in the U.S. Senate, Top administration officials made their case, sharing their evidence with lawmakers and, suffice to say, It did not go well at all. Here's Democratic Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington State commenting on the Trump administration's classified briefing on the classified evidence that supposedly proves an attack on Americans was imminent just after she left the briefing room. This is the result of reckless actions by President Trump of military brinksmanship. 
President Trump recklessly assassinated Qasem Soleimani. He had no evidence of an imminent threat or attack. And we say that coming from a classified briefing where, again, there was no raw evidence presented that there was an imminent threat. Now, uh, that was uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, uh, Republican Congressman John Rutherford of Florida tweeted in response to Jayapal's remarks, quote, I was in the same briefing as you, Congressman Jayapal, and this is absolutely false. You and your squad of Ayatollah sympathizers are spreading propaganda that divides our nation and strengthens our enemy. Wait, calling them Ayatollah sympathizers yeah, is not divisive. Not divisive at all. At, uh, correct. Uh, <laughs> it's just so. I, uh, but you know, I'm glad that uh, Congressman uh, Rutherford is so very concerned about uh, dividing our country. And uh, just by way of a sidebar here, uh, John Rutherford, who represents Florida's 4th District in the very Republican-leaning panhandle, uh, is being challenged this year by both Republicans and Democrats alike for his congressional seat. Uh, Democrats Donna Deegan, who you can find more information on at DonnaDeeganForCongress.com, and Christopher Eagle who you can find more information and probably donate to both of them at VoteEagle.org. Those are the Democrats challenging Rutherford this year. And Rutherford, by the way, is also facing a Republican challenger in Florida's August primary, specifically by uh, 20-year Navy vet uh, Eric Aguilar. And you can find him at ericforcongress.com. Eric is spelled with a C-K-E-R. Uh, E-R-I-C-K for Congress.com. Just saying, just noting. And as I say, I suspect they both have donation links at their websites. Uh, But yes, second of all, uh, Rutherford may want to let his own Republican colleagues know that they must also be apparently Ayatollah sympathizers for telling the truth about the administration's lies to cover for Donald Trump's unlawful assassination of Iran's Qassam Soleimani and the apparent lie that uh, it was done in order to stop to prevent an imminent attack, which apparently the administration cannot seem to identify even in classified briefings for lawmakers. Even though that would be the only possible thing that might have made the assassination of this top Iranian official with whom we are not at war. It's the only thing that would have made that assassination not a violation of both domestic and international law. As NBC News reported last night, lawmakers came away with vastly different interpretations of two classified briefings that top Trump administration officials held on Wednesday about the airstrike last week that killed uh, Soleimani with two Republican senators, Republican senators sharply criticizing the administration officials. It was probably the worst briefing I've seen, at least on a military issue, in nine years I've served in the United States Senate, said Republican Senator Mike Lee, adding that he left the briefing, quote, unsatisfied, with the information given, quote, outlining the legal, factual and moral justification for the attack. He went on to say that the briefing was, quote, insulting and demeaning. After being told by administration officials that debating the matter publicly would only help the enemy 
adding that uh, after those insulting comments from officials, he now plans, Mike Lee, the Republican, now plans to vote in favor of a new war powers resolution from Democratic Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia. Lee said, that briefing changed my mind. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, standing next to Lee, concurred, saying, today this is Senator Lee and I saying we are not abdicating our duty. Later on CNN, Rand Paul was asked directly by Wolf Blitzer about the evidence of an imminent attack that the administration claimed justified the assassination and which was supposed to have been presented to uh, both senators and House members alike on Wednesday. Did you get any uh, evidence, any intelligence? I don't know. You can't release classified information. But did you uh, get some specific information that there was an imminent threat to American military personnel, American diplomats within a matter of days, and that was the reason they decided to kill Soleimani? There was no specific information given to us of a specific attack. Uh, generalities, stuff you read in the newspaper was given to us. I didn't learn anything in the hearing that I hadn't seen in a newspaper already, and none of it was uh, overwhelming that X was going to happen. I'm not saying that uh, really the world being rid of Suleimani is probably a good thing, but in the end, how we go about it and what are the ramifications of it are very important. I think it's, much, it's made it much more difficult to have engagement or any kind of diplomacy with Iran. I doubt they'll be coming to the negotiating table anytime soon. And so really, this is a question I ask every day. Are sanctions working? Does maximum pressure work? Is it making it more or less likely that Iran will come to the table? I think getting out of the nuclear agreement, placing an embargo on them and killing their major general all add up to obstacles to diplomacy and are making it much less likely that we have diplomacy and actually much more likely that we'll have attacks on Americans. And that's what we're seeing. I just want to be precise, uh, Senator. It was a 75-minute closed-door, highly classified briefing from top administration officials. And, and you say they, they did not give you any specific information to justify the killing uh, of Qasem Soleimani? Uh, there, were, there was general information given, but no specifics. What, did you press? Uh, did you say, can you give us some specifics? Uh, and what did they say? Uh, we were pressed to continue questions. Uh, only about a dozen senators were allowed to ask questions. And when pressed on whether or not they would return, uh, there was a, sort of a negative response that there wasn't any guarantee they'd have time to come back. And so really, this is the whole point. The administration, and not just this administration, but Democrats as well have said, oh, we'll consult with you. That's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says you have to ask our permission. So instead, we get a little bit of consultation after the fact, but that's not what the Constitution says. And if that's the standard we're going to have, we will have a lot of war. So the guy, people who don't want perpetual war, and the president says he doesn't want perpetual war, we need to limit the power of the executive. But that's hard to get executives to agree to, Republican or Democrat. Yeah. That was uh, apparently Ayatollah sympathizer, <laughs> Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky. By the way, huge Donald Trump supporter, too. Donald Trump sympathizer, I guess we could say. The officials leading the briefings on Wednesday included Defense Secretary Mark Esper, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, CIA Director Gina Haspel, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley. So the top folks, but apparently they had nothing according to both Democrats and Republicans, who I guess are uh, all Ayatollah sympathizers. Am I right? 
Florida Congressman John Rutherford. Democrats in the basement of the Capitol emerged from their briefing, which lasted about 90 minutes, expressing similar frustrations with the administration. Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman uh, of New Jersey, a Democrat, said we really don't have an idea of whether or not there was an imminent reason to do this. Democrats said they didn't hear anything during the closed-door briefing that suggested there was intelligence that showed Soleimani posed an imminent threat to the U.S. They also said they were not satisfied with the legal justification on which officials are basing the airstrike, which is the Authorization for the Use of Military Force, or AUMF, that was passed by Congress in 2002 to invade Iraq. Yes, the Trump administration is claiming that the military authority granted, foolishly, by the way, and under false pretenses to George W. Bush, granted by Congress to invade Iraq, that that AUMF now allows Donald Trump, 18 years later to assassinate a top Iranian official in the country. And, and an Iranian, by the way, who was on a peace mission in Iraq to help ease tensions in the U.S.-backed Saudi Arabian war with Iran-backed Yemen. <laughs> One after another after another, uh, Democrats, both in the House and Senate, took to the microphones after their private briefings on Wednesday to express the same thing. Here's a bunch of the, the senators, including Senators Kane, Van Hollen, Murphy, Schumer, Stabenow, Merkley, uh, and Blumenthal. At least based on the presentation that was made, uh, it does not meet what I consider to be an imminent threat. I would say that the briefing was incredibly thin on facts, and to the extent that they provided facts, in my judgment, they did not support any claim of an imminent threat. I was deeply surprised at the lack of information presented by the administration. This appears to me to be a strike of choice by this administration, uh, one that likely would have required congressional authorization. We did not get information inside that briefing that there was a specific imminent threat that we were halting through the operation conducted last Thursday night. I think it is likely because it doesn't exist. We had 97 senators there, 15 got to ask questions. As the questions began to get tough, they walked out. It seemed to reflect a very rushed and reckless action. It was deeply concerning today. I came away from this briefing really angry, deeply dissatisfied that after waiting this long for the facts that justified the killing of the second-in-command of a foreign government, that the answers were unacceptably vague and unspecific. In fact, my takeaway from this briefing was that it raised more questions than it answered. Good. Are you Democrats going to call for another article of impeachment against Donald J. Trump for violating the Constitution, violating the uh, the law and potentially committing war crimes? I have a feeling they won't because they never do when it comes to these sorts of things. This is a pretty bipartisan issue to allow the uh, president to expand his his executive powers to kill whoever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And they are justifiably upset about this. They are justifiably upset about the administration lying to them. But 
What are they going to do about it? Well, not much. Maybe they'll pass a new war powers declaration. Maybe. Apparently, lawmakers' frustrations in the briefing, as you heard reference there in a bit, came to a head when Senator Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware, asked Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo when, if not during a situation like this, the administration thinks it needs Congress to authorize the use of military force. Pompeo and the other administration officials would not directly answer the question, reportedly. Instead, they responded by chiding the senators for harping on the issue and arguing that asking for authorization only emboldens Iran. It's remarkable that Pompeo didn't call Coons a uh, Ayatollah sympathizer at that point. That response set off both Democratic and Republican lawmakers who were in the room, according to an aide, and the briefing ended soon thereafter. That is what Mike Lee was so furious about, this notion that the administration was telling Congress they could not even debate this issue publicly. He said after the briefing they had to leave after 75 minutes while they're in the process of telling us that we need to be good little boys and girls and run along and not debate this in public. He said, I find that absolutely insane. I think it's unacceptable. Vermont Senator and, uh, by the way, leading Democratic presidential candidate these days, Bernie Sanders, uh, who, if you haven't been uh, paying attention, and you can't be blamed if you haven't been paying attention, given everything that's going on, but he is uh, Sanders is currently on track to potentially win both the Iowa caucuses in about three weeks and the New Hampshire primary. Just saying. That's uh, according to uh, the current polling averages from uh, Real Clear Politics, for whatever that is worth. Uh, in any event, Sanders was looking pretty presidential during his responses to reporters after Wednesday's classified briefings. You were in that briefing uh, where the administration laid out their thought process for this attack. Uh, you described it uh, as the evidence being lacking, what air quotes around the imminent. If you could, as much as you can, realizing that it's a classified briefing, briefing going, go into the specifics by why you thought their evidence was thin uh, and what more you'd like to see from the administration about their response here. Ryan, uh, you don't have to take my word for it. I think you can uh, hear what several Republican uh, senators who were in that hearing had to say. Uh, hear what Mike Lee had to say, what Rand Paul had to say. Those are guys I don't always agree with. Uh, bottom line is uh, we did not hear that there was any imminent attack being planned uh, against the United States, period. Period. Yep, the whole thing was a scam. The whole thing was a lie. Democrats uh, went on to reiterate their calls for Congress to vote on a new war powers resolution to replace ones passed by Congress to invade Afghanistan in 2001 after 9-11 and Iraq in 2002, which, as I noted, incredibly, the Trump administration is still citing as their authority to do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whoever they want, whenever and wherever they want including to a guy from Iran who had nothing to do with Iraq. Progressive Democrats have been pushing proposals by Congress members Ro Khanna and Barbara Lee, the, by the way, the only member of Congress to have voted against that authorization for the use of military force after 9-11 in Afghanistan, where we have uh, been in our longest war. Her reasoning at the time was that it was a blank check 
and that that war could go on forever. And sure enough, she was right. The only member of either the House or Senate to say as much and to vote as much back then. So uh, she's pushing a, a new proposal as well, and uh, she says she is open to a measure by Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat from Michigan. Uh, some of those uh, new proposals are being debated in the House on Thursday. Senator Tim Kaine, meanwhile, in the Senate, has proposed similar legislation over in the upper chamber. Speaker House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced uh, that the House would vote on Thursday on Slotkin's resolution, saying in a statement that the House will honor our duty to keep the American people safe and will move forward with a war powers resolution to limit the president's military actions regarding Iran. Rokana, for his part, has introduced similar legislation, along with Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, that would prohibit any funding for military force in or against Iran without prior congressional authorization. You know, the way it's spelled out in the Constitution. And Barbara Lee, who has long pushed for a new War Powers Resolution, is calling for a repeal of the 2002 War Powers Resolution that Congress passed in order to invade Iraq. Good idea. Republican Senator Mike Lee said we have to make sure that Congress reasserts its role in exercising responsibility to if, in fact, any president wants to use force or conduct military strikes, he or she must come to Congress for authorization. Both uh, Lee, Mike Lee and uh, Paul, Rand Paul, said Wednesday that they would support Democratic Senator Tim Kaine's resolution in the Senate that is, if it is ever allowed to see the light of day there in the GOP-controlled chamber. And that's where the trick comes. McConnell won't let it come up for Well, we'll see. There are certain ways, uh, and I'm not sure how the Senate rules work. There are certain ways that uh, it can be done as a privileged re uh, resolution, which somehow or another works around uh, McConnell control of that Senate. I don't know if this is something that can uh, come forward that way or not. But I can tell you this. Democratic uh, senators and the House members and a couple of Republican senators are very unhappy about this. There is, again, a way to express their unhappiness that is called impeachment. And if, in fact, Donald Tr uh, Trump committed war crimes here, I don't know why they wouldn't uh, march right back into those uh, into that Judiciary Committee hearing room and uh, consider adding another article of impeachment. In any event, there is a reason why Desi Doyen has <laughs> been calling the uh, the Brad blog and the Bradcast your early warning system. Oh, yes. Some of these uh, matters we have warned about for years and years, including uh, some voting-related stuff that I hope to get to momentarily. But also, on, on yesterday's program, we spent some time going through various evidence that suggested that the Ukrainian airliner that crashed shortly after takeoff from... Uh, Tehran's airport just hours after Iran's revenge strike against two Iraqi bases where U.S. troops were uh, were based, that in response to Trump's assassination of Soleimani, uh, that that was not that crash of that Ukrainian airliner was not, in fact, due to a technical problem with the civilian uh, Boeing 737 jet, as uh, as both Ukrainian and Iranian officials had initially claimed, but that it was actually shot out of the sky. 
most likely, we noted on yesterday's program, by Iran, who might have mistaken it for a response to the, mis- to the missiles that they shot at Americans in Iraq just a few hours earlier. I believe I said that, uh, based on the available evidence at the time, that that was my spidey sense that that might have gone on, if <laughs> yes. I recall. Yes, you did. Well, uh, today, top U.S. intelligence officials seem to be confirming my spidey sense and that that was likely what happened. As the New York Times is reporting this afternoon, U.S. intelligence agencies now believe that at least one Iranian missile accidentally brought down a Ukrainian jetliner over Iran this week. According to American officials on Thursday, a tragic coda to the escalated military conflict between Washington and Tehran. Officials had a, quote, high level of confidence that the Iranians brought down the airliner by mistake, one American official said. The official said that two missiles fired from an Iranian air defense system shot down the airliner. The Ukrainian airliner, which was a Boeing 737-800, went down on Wednesday morning, killed at least 176 people, including a number of Iranians, Ukrainians, and 63 Canadians. Uh, The plane had turned back reportedly toward the Tehran airport before it crashed in a huge explosion minutes after takeoff that was caught on videotape. This was according to uh, an initial Iranian report, which said that the plane bound for Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital, was in flames before it hit the ground, but that it did not send a distress signal. Although both the U.S. and Iran now appear to be backing away from a larger military confrontation, at least for now, the new intelligence suggests that the loss of life from the downing of the plane was a direct result of those heightened tensions between the two countries. American satellites designed to track missile launches detected the firing of the Iranian short-range interceptor. U.S. intelligence agencies later intercepted Iranian communications, confirming that the SA-15 air defense system, in fact, brought down the Ukrainian airliner. This is just heartbreaking. I mean, all of this death, all of this, because Trump decided he wanted to commit a war crime, says me, to uh, so distract could, from his domestic woes, Yeah, basically. to change the news cycle yep. for his own personal political benefit, risking war in the Middle East. Right. So let's do the math here. Uh, at this point, Trump's assassination of Soleimani, in addition to being a crime, uh, killed the revered Iranian general, the second most powerful uh, official in the country, as well as an, who was on a peace mission, by the way, as well as a number of Iraqi officials that he was with at the time of the drone strike. At least 56 Iranians were then killed during a stampede at a funeral procession for Soleimani when millions turned out into the streets to mourn his killing, and then another 176 died in a commercial uh, passenger plane thanks to heightened tensions that helped mistake that plane for a response from Americans to Iran's largely symbolic and purposefully non-lethal ballistic missile attack on two Iraqi bases where U.S. troops were based, but were cleared out, those U.S. troops where they were cleared out, hours uh, before the missiles came in due to an early warning before the attack, most likely by Iran, who knew they did not want to kill any Americans and and did not want to escalate the situation if possible. Now, while I do hope that this is the end of this 
these pointless hostilities between the two countries who had reached a form of detente under Barack Obama when Iran had agreed to restrict its nuclear programs, restriction uh, restrictions which they say are no longer in effect following Trump's unilateral withdrawal from the pact, which has radically which had radically decreased tensions between the U.S. and Iran. But no more. Uh, I am concerned that there may now be with all of that with that death toll. I mean, over 200 at this point. I'm concerned that there may be demands from Iranians for for more of a response from their government uh, in response to all of this. A government which, by the way, until Donald Trump helped unify that nation, uh, many of those same people had been in the streets protesting against that government. So I hope all of this is over, but I really don't know that it is. And even if another Iranian response is not lethal, it could be very damaging to the U.S., particularly if it comes as a cyber attack. That's just one of the many reasons I have been yelling and screaming as your early warning system for about 16 years now. By the way, our 16th anniversary, I think, uh, is coming up at bradblog.com in a few weeks. Oh, boy. We thank you in advance for your uh, anniversary gifts at <laughs> bradblog.com slash donate. In any event, this is why I've been yelling for all of these years about ensuring that we have voting systems that can withstand cyber attacks from foreign adversaries and domestic adversaries alike, like insiders in uh, election insiders. We have more evidence today that the voting and tabulation systems being installed all over the country now in advance of the critical 2020 elections are anything but safe from such attacks, whether they're from Russia, whether they're from Iran, whether they're from insiders. Not that I, you know, not that Republicans or Donald Trump would ever do anything untoward to mess with our elections. Right. Anyway. That new evidence is next on today's broadcast. You don't want to miss yet another told you so moment. Or maybe you do. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. It's coming to America first The cradle of the best and of the worst It's here they got the range and the machinery for change And it's here they got the spiritual thirst I'm worried about that machinery for change <laughs> at this point. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Yeah, democracy is coming! 
of a sort to the U.S. Uh, in just worry about three weeks now away from the Iowa caucuses, about a month from New Hampshire primary. Um, welcome back. I am, uh, as I said, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, your longtime friendly early warning system. <laughs> uh, so early that well over a decade ago now, we warned you of the very type of 100% unverifiable computer touchscreen voting systems that are this year before the critical 2020 presidential election now proliferating across the U.S., in completely flippable purple states like Georgia, in otherwise blue jurisdictions like Philadelphia, in the key battleground state of Pennsylvania, and yes, even here in California, in my home county of Los Angeles, the nation's most populous uh, voting jurisdiction, larger than about 41 complete states, we will all now be voting on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, incredibly enough, at the polling place in 2020. Uh, at least those of us who are not smart enough to ask for a hand-marked paper ballot uh, by mail, a vote by mail b a ballot that I would uh, request you actually deliver in person to the polling place on Election Day. Now, all of these jurisdictions are set to move to computer touchscreen voting systems that election officials and even some previously reliable election integrity organizations like VerifiedVoting.org and the Brennan Center and Common Cause that they are all misleading in their descriptions uh, of these systems as paper ballot systems, even though they are not. They are computer ballot marking devices or BMDs where the voter uses a touchscreen and the computer, uh, for some reason, prints out the voter's selections on a paper ballot summary card which uh, for many of these election officials and many of these Democrats and many of these election integrity groups is just fine, despite, you know, stuff like science. And we have more science today to underscore what an insane idea this is. Now, in theory, and I'll get to the theoretical part in a moment, a voter could try to verify the computer uh, uh, printouts of their selections and uh, try to verify that the computer has printed it as intended. In fact, these systems don't even tabulate those human readable computer marked selections that you might maybe be able to verify. Maybe. Instead, they also print out barcodes that are printed on the paper ballot, uh, paper ballot uh, summary card. And it is those barcodes, not the thing that you might have been able to verify. It's those barcodes that are instead used to make the tabulation. And by the way, humans can't actually verify those barcodes. But even if even if they tallied the human readable selections, uh, on these uh, printouts, there is still a huge problem with that that I have been warning about for years and years and also years. And that is that, A, most voters do not check the computer printouts. And of uh, the minority who do, most do not notice when the computer has changed their vote. And C, even if a voter checks the printouts and they do notice when their ballot has been printed incorrectly, uh, even if all of that happens, we cannot know after an election if any voter did so, if any of them did any of that, and whether any single vote actually matches the intent of any single voter. 
And that's why I refer to such systems as 100% unverifiable. I've been making this argument for years, and now the computer scientists, thankfully, are finally catching up. Yet another new study out this week on Wednesday morning underscores what I've been trying to warn you and election officials, and yes, these election integrity groups like Verified Voting and Brennan Center, etc., about for years. According to Joseph Marks, uh, his coverage at Washington Post's The Cybersecurity 202, new voting machines that hundreds of districts will use for the first time in 2020 do not have enough safeguards against hacking by Russia and other U.S. adversaries. How about Iran? You could put Iran in there, Joseph Marks, anyway. They don't have uh, safeguards against hacking, according to a new study out this morning. This was on Wednesday from researchers at the University of Michigan. The study marks the first major independent review of the machines called ballot marking devices or BMDs, which at least 18 percent of the country's districts will use as their default voting machines in November. 18 percent. Now, you remember how close the election was back in 2016. And now we've got 18 percent using these new unverifiable devices in 2020. Are we crazy? Yes, we are. The results The Post writes are a major blow for voting machine companies. The results of this report, a major blow for voting machine companies and election officials who have touted BMDs as a secure option in the wake of Russia's 2016 efforts to compromise U.S. elections infrastructure. Alex Halderman, a University of Michigan computer science professor, one of uh, seven authors of this study, and by the way, a guest on several occasions over the years uh, on this program, said in an interview with The Post that the implication of our study is that it's extremely unsafe to use BMDs. These machines, the Post notes, were touted by election officials as a compromise between paperless voting machines, which experts uniformly agree are far too vulnerable to hacking, and hand-marked paper ballots, which serious cybersecurity hawks favor, but which can be tougher to tally and are inaccessible for many people with disabilities. Okay, first, they are not tougher to tally. Uh, They're tallied the same way as BMD paper trails are. You just run them through an optical scanner, another computer. Or, by the way, you could hand count them so that people can actually know they're counted correctly. But as to uh, being inaccessible to people with disabilities, well, the Help America Vote Act of 2002, it's almost 20 years old at this point, for Christ's sake, it already requires that there be one disabled accessible assistive voting device, one in each polling place, not even each precinct, but in each polling place for use by those who need uh, need to or want to use them. There is no reason to force every voter to force to force everyone to vote on these unverifiable, insecure voting systems. There's no reason any more than there is a reason to force everyone to walk up the ramp at City Hall and to do away with the stairs just because you installed that ramp to uh, make it wheelchair accessible. But we're not we're not even to the biggest problem yet with these systems, uh, as detailed by Halderman's uh, a new study. Uh, only they write only a handful of people who vote on BMDs are likely to check that their votes were recorded accurately. The researchers found, meaning that if hackers succeeded in altering even a small percentage of electronic votes, 
they might be able to change the outcome of a close election without being detected. Close election, for example, well, just uh, three votes uh, for uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016 in each precinct in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, instead of for Donald Trump, just three votes would have made her the president instead of him. Is that close enough for you? And by the way, uh, not only hackers are, are the concern here, so are election insiders. So are those who program these systems but screw them up by making mistakes all the time. Mistakes like the one uh, which showed we reported on this show, uh, showed a county judge in Northampton County, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia last November, receiving zero votes in a whole bunch of precincts where, in fact, we would later learn that that county judge had actually won thousands of votes on the brand new, brand new BMD systems that were deployed for the first time to Northampton County last November with plans to use them there and in Philadelphia this year in the battleground state of Pennsylvania. And the only reason they noticed it was because the results were so egregiously out of whack with zero votes. If it was something, you know, pretty close, mm-hmm. yeah. then maybe they, they wouldn't, wouldn't have say, well, yeah. that, that checks out. Yeah. Don't bother to check yeah. it. And by the way, they couldn't have checked it because these are BMD systems. So even if they checked it, who knows if it's what the voter actually meant. The Northampton County Board, by the way, after that election, has since voted no confidence in those brand new BMD systems, which were made by the uh, nation's largest voting machine company, a company by the name of Election Systems and Software, Inc., ESNS. Those uh, express vote systems made by ESNS are also being deployed uh, to other battleground states like North Carolina next year. At least unless the people of North Carolina somehow come to their senses or are stopped by a judge before this happens. This is insane. But wait, it gets worse. (laughs) It gets worse. According to the new report, Halderman said uh, there's been a lot of discussion in the uh, in the election security community, finally, about whether BMD verification by voters works as a defense against hacking, but nobody really had any hard numbers. Well, now, he says, for the first time, we have an experimental data point, and unfortunately, the results confirm some of our worst fears. So listen to the, get a load of these numbers. The researchers watched 241 people vote on a BMD machine in a simulated election all of whom had at least one of their votes secretly hacked and changed on the printed out ballot. This was an experiment set uh, set out in advance, uh, and Holderman had set it up so that one vote that they made would be changed. They found that only 40 percent of voters even bothered to review their printed computer marked printed out ballots at all. Just 40 percent looked at them. And that only about 7% overall told a poll worker that something was wrong with the printout. So let me help you with that number. Uh, They changed a vote on each of the ballots secretly, and 93% of voters did not notice. 93% those votes made it through without the voter actually noticing In 93% of the cases. (sighs) Yes, that that is my head exploding, (laughs) if you're wondering. 
at those rates, the uh, the post notes, it's highly likely that if hackers changed just one or two percent of the votes in a close election, they would not be discovered at all, according to the researchers. And yet these are the machines that we are now deploying all over the country in a whole bunch of key battleground districts that I've been uh, driving you crazy about for years. Finally, the Washington Post is beginning to catch up. Finally, the computer uh, programmers, are, uh, uh, computer uh, scientists are beginning to catch up. Thankfully, now that it's by and large too late to do much about it for 2020, but we're deploying them to a whole bunch of key battleground uh, districts f after the 2016 election when Russia reportedly attempted to access voting and registration systems in all 50 states. And just months after Donald Trump killed the top military general in Iran, which has one of the world's most sophisticated cyber attack operations. Are we insane? Why, yes, I would say that we are. But I have been saying that for a while. The researchers also tried several methods to get voters to check their ballots for errors, including posting signs and having poll workers urge them to review the ballots. But none of them improved error detection to the point that BMDs can be used safely in close or small elections, according to the researchers. Now, Congress has steered clear of mandating that states use specific voting equipment, for example, machines with hand-marked paper ballots that are actually verifiable. Lawmakers have, in the meantime, appropriated about $900 million for election security since 2016, including some $425 million in December, but none of it has come uh, with any of those specific cybersecurity mandates favored at least by some Democrats, most notably Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, who has called for a mandate for every vote in the country to every voter to be able to vote on a hand marked paper ballot. While other Democrats like Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar continues to call for so-called paper ballot backups created by the very systems that all of these computer scientists, not to mention me, long before as a one-time computer programmer and sort of occasional hacker myself, uh, have been warning against. So, so far, only Ron, Ron Wyden seems to get this. Now, happily, the Post does report that uh, only one major bill sponsored by Senator Wyden would mandate that hand-marked paper ballots are the default for voters. Uh, that bill also includes $250 million to develop secure BMDs for people with disabilities who can't use hand-marked paper ballots. That's fine. But everyone does not have to use them. Finally, uh, the uh, Washington Post is beginning to catch up with some of this stuff. <sighs> now that it's too late to really change anything. Well, you know what? There's a lawsuit in uh, in Pennsylvania trying to block the use of the machines in Northampton County and Philadelphia and so forth. Uh, hopefully, there, I know there's a lawsuit in Georgia. Our friend Marilyn Marks has been bringing one for a long time. Uh, hopefully, there's one in North Carolina. Sadly, there's none here in Los Angeles. It looks like we're going to be stuck with these uh, crap hackable machines in 2020 that can't be verified ever. Yeah. So spread the word. Go online. Sign up for vote by mail for this election and sign it at home. Drop it off at the polling place and keep checking your registration because this is not going to be a problem that goes away. 
Your early warning con uh, system continues right after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. So, uh, Desi Doyen, yes. one of the stories we have in our Green News report coming up in a moment, uh, I don't think we cover in enough detail, given what it merits, okay. given what it deserves, and not your fault, we only got six minutes, <laughs> uh, but uh, if we have time uh, afterwards, uh, maybe I'll hit just a few more points from this, because it's a huge story, it broke oh, yes. today, and like so much else, it's gotten completely lost in the uh, craziness of President Crazy Pants. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Federal agencies no longer need to consider the climate impacts of federal projects. Trump administration weakens yet another landmark environmental law. Trump EPA and FEMA not ready to deal with disasters. Shutdown of coal plants has saved 26,000 American lives. Plus, predictably, several other News Corp columnists and TV hosts were singing from the same song sheet. Disinformation campaign underway to deny the role of climate change in Australia's bushfires. All of that denial and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Climate change isn't the cause of these bushfires. But there's no doubt that two decades plus of climate change activism is making them worse. <laughs> so, did I hear that right? Did she seem to say that environmentalists are making climate change worse? I guess some things don't need a snarky comment. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this story is getting worse and worse and worse week after week after week. I read today that there are now one billion animals who have been killed in Australia. On the other hand, I heard via a reliable source in my emails that climate change has nothing to do with the fires in Australia. And that would be wrong, what? of course, because Australia's scientists have said climate change is making the fires worse. But here is a new wrinkle. Predictably, several other News Corp columnists and TV hosts were singing from the same song sheet, denying that climate change is making the bushfires worse or claiming that increased Australian action to fight global warming is pointless. Rupert Murdoch's Australian media empire is undertaking a concerted propaganda effort to dismiss the role of man-made climate change in order to protect conservative climate denier politicians in Australia. That's a new wrinkle? Yes, it's actually even worse than it's ever been before. Hmm. And a new study has found evidence that social media bots and trolls are helping to conduct that widespread disinformation campaign to falsely blame Australia's bushfire crisis 
emphasis on arson in order to undermine scientists' link to climate change. You mean I shouldn't believe all those people I'm hearing from on Twitter? That's right. Here in the U.S., FEMA's annual National Preparedness Report out this week simply omits the threats of climate change, rising sea levels, and drought. And at Trump's Environmental Protection Agency, a new Inspector General report finds that the agency is not prepared for a national emergency like the one facing Australia. The IG says EPA is not adequately managing its equipment and assets because it's using a redundant web of private contractors to manage its inventory at triple the cost of using the existing federal agency inventory. (laughs) Of course, draining the swamp doesn't come cheap, you know. The Trump administration this week is also proposing to weaken yet another landmark environmental rule, the National Environmental Policy Act. It says federal agencies will no longer have to consider climate impacts when assessing the environmental impacts of major projects, like pipelines or cutting down forests. That means federal scientists could only assess impacts directly caused by a project, not its contribution to bigger problems like climate change. Those changes were sought by industry and would expand the number of project categories that get to be excluded from environmental review. It's intended to speed up permitting of oil and gas projects and will actually allow developers to write their own environmental impact reports. Well, what could go wrong with that? The rule changes also mean that agencies will not be able to assess whether new infrastructure projects will be able to withstand impacts from bigger floods and more extreme storms caused by climate change. That will sharply increase the cost burden to taxpayers who foot the bill for big disasters. The Trump administration's failure to act on climate change and prepare for increased disaster risks also has consequences for property owners and the insurance industry. CBS News meteorologist Jeff Berardelli explains. People are already having trouble getting insurance and mortgages in fire-prone areas of California. That's going to exacerbate the situation not only for fires, but also for folks that are flood-prone and folks that live near sea level. Once you can't get a mortgage or insurance on your home, you no longer can sell your home. Finally, some good news. A new study finds that the shutdown of polluting coal-fired power plants in the United States over the last 10 years has saved more than 26,000 lives by reducing the health impacts caused by coal's air pollution, like heart disease, cancer, and respiratory ailments. That's 26,000 lives saved. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm trying to just breathe. I know. Good advice on any day. Uh, Thank you, Desi Doyen. The uh, story that I wanted to follow up from there was that story on NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. Now, the administration came out actually today. I think it was supposed to be on Wednesday, but they came out on Thursday instead uh, to make this announcement about this, uh, just a, a sea change in the way environmental uh, reviews are made of major federal projects. And this is going to uh, limit the reviews on uh, built uh, on roads, new road roads, bridges, cutting forests, expanding broadband, 
and approving interstate pipelines like the Keystone XL. It essentially is going to leave it to the companies themselves to do their own review. Yeah, and lock out local control. So, so much for those property rights and states' rights and things like that that Republicans pretend to care about. They're going to make it so that local communities cannot even know about these projects before they are underway. Uh, it's it's going to be a matter of, oh, you want to build a pipeline, ExxonMobil or, or BP? Well, let us know how the environmental review works out. And uh, if you say everything is okay, then we'll just go ahead and, and, and do it. This was supported by groups like the right-wing Chamber of Commerce, the American Petroleum Institute, which called on the, uh, uh, the, the Council here of Environmental Quality, which sets these rules. Uh, they've been calling on them to hurry up and release this so-called NEPA Modernization Act, <laughs> saying it was long Orwellian. overdue. Yeah, well, Happy New Year, American Petroleum Institute. Your oil swamp is rising again, thanks to Donald Trump. The uh, former chair of the CEQ between uh, 2015 and 2017, uh, Christy Goldfuss, said that uh, the Trump proposal would cause lasting damage. She said environmental groups have successfully blocked or delayed a dozen big polluting projects in courts by arguing that Trump agencies failed to weigh climate impacts in their reviews which was a requirement created under the Obama administration. And this proposal, she says, is trying to remove that one, that uh, requirement entirely. Oh, yeah. And listen, it, it is hard to understate just how important this big change will be, how huge and consequential it will be if it gets finalized. But there is some good news. If Trump loses in November, the next Democratic president can immediately throw out the changes. Yeah, well... Don't count on that. No, Des. you can't count on it. But I'm uh, just saying that it's it's not done yet. The lead uh, NEPA attorney for Earth Justice said that weakening this implementation would deprive local communities of, quote, the most widespread mechanism of citizen involvement in government. Yep. Remember those forgotten men and women that Trump promised to remember? Well, forget about them, suckers. All right, that wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us uh, for uh, the hour, hopefully, again. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, I hope you will feel free to download it from bradblog.com for free. All of that made possible by those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and keep doing what we do every day, at least through this uh, another election year. All right, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find, follow, and share me as simply the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.